0: Well, guys, we are starting a brand new series today called Holy Ghost Stories. So I have a question. Do you have a ghost story? Like, I don't know where where you stand on that, but two out of every five Americans believe in ghosts, and 20% said they've seen a ghost. Like, I don't know where you stand on all of that, but for me, I haven't seen a ghost, but I want to tell you a quick story. So I was in high school, and after a football game, uh, we were all supposed to go to this big barn and there's about maybe 60, 70 students there. And I went with my friend Danny, and when he and I got there, there's still a bunch of people there. And we went to get some lemonade, and we went up to the loft, and we just started talking about football and what's to come. Then all of a sudden, we started hearing girls scream. I mean, out of nowhere, they started screaming, and we're like, what is going on? So we ran through the screaming. We get down um, out of the loft, we go down the steps, and we see them, And they're all sort of huddled around a Ouija board. And they're all standing up and they're screaming, saying, it moved and we heard a woman's voice. Crazy. Now, I have no idea if they had seen a ghost or heard a ghost or a spirit. I have no idea. All I know is secondhand. And thank God they put that thing away. Now, when it comes to the Bible, there are references to ghosts. There's references to spirits. Not many, though. Uh, there's a story of Jesus telling his disciples, hey, meet me on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he goes to the other side, they get in the boat, and they get stuck in a storm. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking on the water towards them, and Peter says, it's a ghost. So obviously, during the time of Jesus, people are aware of the idea of ghosts and spirits. Now, in this series, what we want to do is we want to take a look at a ghost or spirit. The Spirit has been given to us to live in us, change us, and lead us. Although the Spirit has been, seeming to be, forgotten, we want to reintroduce or maybe introduce you to the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to share some stories on how the Holy Spirit has changed people and they have brought change in their community. I'm going to share a few stories along the way. So let's jump into our first week of Holy Ghost Stories. I want to start off with letting some of you know, man, I'm very limited on my knowledge of what I know about the Holy Spirit. From what I do know comes from you know, over 25 years of following Jesus, um, six years of Bible college and seminary education, and through other stories uh, that people have experienced. And then also, I prayed. I'm saying, God, please reveal more of yourself to me. Now, it's interesting that Moses points out to us this thing. He says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. So, God has some secrets. He's holding some things to the vest, per se. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. Hmm. And so, the truth is that God has some secrets. And although this might be very frustrating, I believe it's for our benefit. It's for our good because maybe it's something that we couldn't handle. There's some things about God that we just wouldn't really do a good job handling. We struggle guys even at times that we know there's some things that we're supposed to do because they're good for us and we don't do them. Now it's interesting. Like as a parent I get this. Right? Even as a coach I get this. Maybe maybe you're a teacher you get this too. The reason why I don't share some things with my daughter, I don't share some things with our athletes is because they're not ready to receive those things. They don't they don't have that emotional intelligence. They're just, they just don't have that maturity yet to really understand some weighty things. And so we just don't share that. And it's really out of compassion that they don't know. That we don't share those things with them. So Moses is letting us know, listen, God has some secrets, but he's also provided you some information. And what he has provided you is really important. And he's provided you that information so that you can live a life that he wants you to live. It's a better way of life with him in in charge. And so for those watching and listening, and maybe you haven't really made up your mind on what church you want to attend, or maybe you have some friends and family that are moving and they're looking for a church, I would steer clear of the churches that believe they know everything about the Holy Spirit. Bottom line is there's going to be some tension. There's going to be some tension that we don't know everything about the Holy Spirit. And maybe your experience has been different than mine. Here's where we all can agree on. We're not going to know everything about God, the Spirit, and we're just going to have to live within that tension. So today, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit lives in us. Growing up in church, I was always told that that was a good thing. That was even a comforting thing. And this may sound very weird to those. Maybe you're you're not really sure where you stand with faith. Someone invited you and you're like, all right, I'll check it out don't know what you believe about jesus about faith but you're like i don't think and, and i know because i've been there foreign things coming into our body sometimes is not most times is not a good thing like when you think um tapeworms not a good thing tumors not a good thing uh, maybe you're you have experience watching the exorcist demons aren't a good thing cancer depression mental illness we would all agree that none of those Things coming into our body, living in us, are good. But we're going to learn, and we're going to learn this from Jesus, that the Holy Spirit living in us is greater than Jesus with us. He even said that. All right, so let's pick this up. And we're going to be in John 14. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Okay, so I want to imagine right now. I want you to imagine, I want myself to imagine that we're one of Jesus' students, we're one of his disciples. So whether you're Peter or Mary Magdalene or Joanna or you're Matthew, take a pick. You're one of his students, you're one of his disciples. You believe that Jesus is special. You believe that he's different, he's unique. Um He's unmatched. His personality, his temperament, just completely unmatched. And you've seen him do some things that have been pretty incredible. Actually, extraordinary. You've seen him feed thousands of people with a Happy Meal. You've seen dead people come back alive. You've seen deaf people hear again. You've seen blind people see again. You've seen some pretty incredible things. And then rumors are getting around that Jesus is the Messiah, yeah, the Messiah you've been praying for as a kid. Your parents, you heard them pray that God would send the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come from David's line. And he was going to set up his kingdom, God's kingdom. Reestablish it. So Jesus has this conversation. He says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, he stepped up, right? And he said, Well, you're the you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And Jesus confirmed it. And then we're we're pretty excited, right? Because We're beginning to think what place we're going to have in the kingdom. What role we're going to have in the kingdom. Like we can't wait for Rome to be conquered, Caesar to be dethroned. So we're getting pretty excited. And we're even more humbled by the fact that he invited us. Like the one that we've been praying for, the the one that has been hoped for for thousands of years, invited us to follow him. So you're experiencing this hope of what's to come. You're excited. Life is good. Maybe you're around the campfire talking with the other students and disciples about what, what everyone's role is going to be, how this is all going to play out. And then all of a sudden, your hope takes a nosedive. Jesus says the following, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the word troubled means to be agitated. It's like, all right, Jesus, well, I wasn't until you said that. Trusting God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Hold on, you're, you're you're wait wait a minute, you're 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 going. When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I'm going. Remember, you're you're one of the disciples, you're one of the students, and you're thinking, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> wait. Like Caesar's still in power, you can't go. Like, we appreciate you telling us not to be agitated, but we're pretty agitated by this. Like, you're not even telling us how long you're going to be gone. We can't face Rome by ourselves. Like, you're Jesus. Like, demons flee at the sound of your name. Dead people come back to life. Blind people see again. Deaf people hear again. Jesus, you're incredible. Like, you can't leave. And then he says this, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, time out. Jesus never, never identified himself as a warrior king that was going to deliver his people from Caesar and Rome. He he never once said that. He did confirm, yeah, he was the Messiah. So instead, Jesus taught them to treat Rome a little differently. See, they saw Rome as the enemy, and Jesus says, okay, if they're going to be the enemy, pray for them, bless them, and and love them. Okay, Jesus, those are commandments, and now we're kind of reimagining again. Well, Jesus, like, it's a lot easier if you're here with us, because when we see you do that, it gives us the strength to do that. Like, we don't want to do this by our own. It, it would be like this. It'd be like, Jesus is the best player on the team. He's not going to be there, and you're going against a really good team without your best player. It's sort of, what, that's what the disciples were feeling like. Like, Jesus, we, we can't move on without you. Like, we need you here. And he says, I will ask the Father. Maybe he saw the way they looked, or maybe he planned to say this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit. First, Jesus doesn't say how long he's going to be away, but he says that, hey, we're going to send you another, meaning equal but different, advocate. See, Jesus had a mission, and that mission was to yeah, to save and rescue the world. Well, this advocate's going to help do that. He's going to help you and me do that. Now, this is what's so good about this. The word advocate comes from the word, the term paracletus. So think like a paraclete. These are the cleats that I wear when I play football or coach football. This is what I wear. And cleats. What what are what are cleats? Cleats gain traction. They help support an athlete. Um, they give you the help that you need, right? See the Holy Spirit, this Advocate, is never going to leave us. Never means never ever. But what he's going to do is continue the mission that Jesus had. Jesus is not going to be here, but he's going to be here. He's equal with Jesus, but different than Jesus. He plays a different role. Uh, we could say it like this. The advocate will is equal to God the Father and God the Son, but different. See, God the Father has no physical form. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the physical form of God. Right? He's love-tangible. And the Holy Spirit is the mind of God living inside of us. Now notice what he says. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. Whoa. So Jesus provides the identity of the advocate. It's the Holy Spirit. And the students and the followers of Jesus would have known who the Spirit of God was because they would have read about, they would have heard about the Spirit of God. Growing up on Saturdays at a synagogue, they would have understood who who the Holy Spirit was, who the Spirit of God was. He at times filled people in the Old Testament, would rest on people, and they were able to do some amazing things. They also understood the Spirit of God as being in the innermost part of the temple. And now Jesus wants them to know, hey, he's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. So Jesus is clear. Look, the Holy Spirit living in you is greater than me being with you. Jesus understood that he could only be at one place at a time. He was limited in his physical being. He he could not be everywhere at the same time, but the Holy Spirit can. He knew if this thing was going to grow... He had to get out of the way and have the Holy Spirit come using us, his his students, his disciples, his followers. See, imagine Jesus. There was no social media back then, so he went to one crowd at a time sharing his message. Even if he came today, even if he came today, say there's one billion followers in the world. Do you know how much time you would be able to have with him? less than a second, not even enough time to get a selfie with the king. Now just think about that for a second. That's not good, right? That doesn't benefit you. That doesn't benefit me. If we want to be discipled and we, can, we can't we can even spend a full second with him, it's not going to be helpful. So Jesus had a different plan. The Holy Spirit living in us is greater than Jesus with us. And so you're like, well, how does the Holy Spirit live in me? Well, do you believe that Jesus is can save you from the penalty of your sin, that his death saves us from the penalty of So when we believe that Jesus died in our place and he came back from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death over us, man, we become a follower of Jesus. We become what some people call saved or born again. And then the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Now, I love what Francis Chan writes about the confusion of a caterpillar after its long nap. He writes this, for all its caterpillar life, it crawls around a small patch of dirt and up and down a few plants. Then one day it takes a nap, a long nap. And then, what in the world must go through its head when it wakes up to discover it can fly? What happened to its dirty, plump little worm body? What does it think when it sees its tiny new body and beautiful wings? As believers, we ought to experience the same kind of astonishment when the holy spirit enters our bodies we should be stunned in disbelief over becoming a new creation with the spirit living in us as the caterpillar finds the ability to fly we should be thrilled over our spirit empowered ability to live differently and faithfully isn't this what we've all been longing for the truth is the holy spirit living in us is better than Jesus with us. I've heard it from people who are on the fence about Jesus, and they're like, well, if I saw Jesus walk into my house, if I saw him walk in my office, or I saw him walk on the streets, or saw him walk in a church, I would believe. I usually grin, and I respectfully point out that some rejected Jesus after the resurrection, including the religious leaders who were actually looking for the Messiah. See, I I think there's some followers of Jesus that are watching and listening. And yet, we're still crawling around when we have the ability to fly. (laughs) We are resisting living faithfully and differently. Some of us, man, we're followers of Jesus and we're flying around. But it's really important that we remind ourselves that we're not flying around on our own strength. We're flying around on His strength. The Holy Spirit enables us to fly. See, we've been called to do greater things than Jesus. Now, not in quality, but in quantity through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that resurrected Jesus resides in you and I as followers of Jesus. I love what J.D. Greer points out. He says, The potential impact of an entire body of believers submitted to the Spirit is greater than if Jesus himself had stayed behind to lead the mission if you had to choose between having Jesus himself as your pastor or a church full of Spirit-filled believers, if you understood the power of the Spirit, you choose that option every time. See, the greater works that we're able to do is to share the gospel. It's to share the gospel with others, and as they respond, they receive eternal life. That is the greater thing. In quantity. Imagine how many of us, when we do that, how great are the impact. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's going to be greater, the Holy Spirit living in us than him with us. Guys, the miracles that Jesus did were amazing. But most of the miracles that he did, they had a temporal effect. Sure, people who were blind were able to see. But at the end of the day, that was the eternal life. When he would tell people, your sins are forgiven, when he told the thief on the cross, today you will be, be with me in paradise, that had an eternal effect. That lasted forever. That was the greater miracle. So as you think about different people in your life who are filled with the Holy Spirit, I have a question to ask. Who is the most spiritual person you know? And I hope you don't say yourself. But who would be the most spiritual person you know, and how come? So I want to share with you, hands down, the most spiritual person that I know. And it's my grandfather, Jack, who some of you know. See, my grandfather never graduated from high school. Never had an official graduation, per se. He may not be the most successful person by the world's measuring stick. But he is the most spiritual person I know. And over the years, I've only known him as a follower of Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus in 1980, and I came along shortly after. And when I was young, I'm too young to remember this, but there's a story of my grandfather, and they were in their church in Pittsburgh, and there was this word of prophecy that went around saying that every leader in the church, their family would experience a crisis my grandfather started receiving calls of different people experiencing a crisis. Then all of a sudden, he got the call. My uncle had been in a horrific vehicle accident, and he was burned. And the doctors didn't know if they could save his life. And so when I hear the story, whether around a dinner table or a campfire, I hear it said that my grandfather prayed and fasted like he never has done before. Praying and fasting for two things. One, that my uncle would be spared, that he would not die, and that he would give his life over to Jesus, that he would be saved. And God answered both of those prayers. As I remember being in a truck with him, and any time there was an emergency vehicle, no matter how old I was, no matter how young I was, I remember my grandfather Praying for the people, those who are going into the fire, going into the accident, and those involved in the accident. and he would just pray that they would be safe, and if they didn't know, God they would they would be saved. There are times where I remember as a kid watching my grandfather as a leader in the church pray over people, and some of those people received healing. I remember uh, there were a couple um, times vividly I remember having this conversation and my grandfather they they did construction and there's sometimes business was really slow and I remember on Sunday morning they would write out a check and I asked him I said what are you what are you doing and he said well we write a tithe check we give 10% of our income back to the church He says, I know, you know, it's a little tough right now, but we believe what God has required us to do. And so we're going to give this in faith, believing that God is going to come and do some pretty incredible things. And every time, every time, God came through for them in some extraordinary way, God provided for them. And there are many times where they gave above and beyond their tithe and God God just blessed them. See, to him, following Jesus was real. It was personal to him. And the greatest miracle was when he he led me to Christ. I was 11 years old. It was a hot July Sunday night. And I was at 131 Shady Creek Lane. I remember being in the upstairs bedroom. And I asked him what it meant to follow Jesus because I wanted what he had. And he led me to Christ. See, when we're around together as a family, when we're sitting at the diner table or the kitchen table or we're out by the campfire, these are the ghost stories that I love to hear. Stories about how the Holy Ghost, how the Holy Spirit has changed people to change the people in their life, to have an influence on the people in their life. Guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, First of all, thank you so much for reminding us that when things happen that we don't understand, you always have a better reason why you're doing it. I'm sure the disciples were like, you've got to be kidding me. Jesus can't go, but yet it ended up being the best thing for them. And so, Father, help us understand that there are some things that we won't understand. And we have to live in that tension. Father, I'm asking that we live faithfully and differently under the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask for those who are on the fence about Jesus that they would surrender because it is, this life of living with you in charge is better, is better than anything else. And I ask that people would experience that. They would stop resisting. And they would recognize that you died in their place. Save them for the penalty of their sin. God, thank you again for allowing us to learn about the Holy Spirit. I'm super excited about the next couple of weeks as we dive in and learn more about the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.